Today is May 15th. Yesterday was May 14th. And it was on May 14th, 1948, that David Ben-Gurion, the Prime Minister of Israel, uh, declared Israel a nation once again. Um, Our Bible study tonight is going to be doing a little bit of background from the Old Testament. And it deals with the times Israel was out of the land. Um, And I suppose a good place to start would be to have you turn, we're going to be in the Old Testament for most of our study, to lay the background um, for what is happening and what we see happening in the world today. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11. One of the things we're learning about prophecy in the Old Testament is it can deal with the kingdom age. It can deal with the times we're living in right now. And it switches back and forth and not necessarily in a chronological order. Uh, Chapter 11 primarily is about um, the restoration of the uh, Messiah's kingdom. When the Lord comes back at the end of the tribulation, the kingdom age will start. And as you look at verse six, this is where we get the familiar scriptures, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, uh, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Uh, the lion will eat straw like an ox. Animosity in the animal kingdom will be done away with. And then, I believe in verse 11, it regresses and it says it'll come to pass in that day that the Lord will set his hand, and this is important, the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. And it's important to note out that the second time that he does it, it talks about the nations of the world. Uh, Assyria, Egypt, um, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, islands of the sea. And that uh, is an important distinction. Now, it says the second time. The first time... um, is when Daniel was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. They were warned by Jeremiah. That was Jeremiah's whole ministry, was saying, um, you've sinned um, and you've gone too far. There's no turning back. You are going into captivity for the next 70 years. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, Daniel's been there the whole time. He was he, From the time he was 17, 17 and uh, 70, um, makes him 80, what, 87, something like that. So he's an older man. But what's important to point out here is they were brought back from a nation, not nations. So when was the first time they came back? They were out of the land for 70 years. After the 70 years, we remember when we had the study a couple of weeks ago, we went to Nehemiah. Um, Artaxerxes, the king, gave the decree, and then they were allowed to return. It wasn't many. Most, most of the Jews got caught up in the culture of Babylon and um, stayed. Less than 50,000 returned the first time. Now, the point that I want to make here is nation singular the first time. The nation was Babylon. The second time, 
he's going to bring them back as we read here in um, Isaiah 11, 11, the nations plural. Now the Lord prophesied about this when they rejected him. He said um, that um, the temple would be destroyed. Uh, Daniel tells us that it would be by the Romans that would come down and destroy uh, the uh, capital. Um, hundred and, hundred and, well, what does Josephus say? I can't remember the exact amount. Hundreds of thousands of people were, were killed during this period of time. And that happened in 70 AD. So as we read here in chapter 11, they're going to be brought back a second time. Well, they haven't been in the land since 70 AD. So for almost 2,000 years, Israel was mostly ruled by the um, Ottoman Turk Empire and variations of different uh, countries that uh, had a conquest. But what happened in the early 1900s, they began to come back. Uh, There's a a decree called the, the Bellflower Declaration. There was a softening in the heart of the people in the world because of the Holocaust. And as a result, Israel um, was given a portion of land. And so that was after World War II. I think it ended in 45. And um, they declared themselves a nation on May 14th, which would have been yesterday. So this is, the reason we're having this Bible study tonight is there are special moments in time and because I believe the hour is so late, that this is gonna be working up to just how much has happened uh, in the last, what, just 20 years. They've been there for 71. But oh my goodness, when we get into what, what has happened to this nation in such a short period of time. Now let's go back to the book of Ezekiel. If you're in Isaiah, keep turning to your right, to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're actually gonna go through 36 and 37. 35, 36, and 37 will deal with uh, the regathering. It's a prophecy in Ezekiel's time, the regathering um, of the people. Look at verse 19. Now, I'm going to give it away before we get to it, even though we're going to study most of this chapter. The Lord says, So I scattered them among the nations. Again, it's plural. So we're not talking about the first regathering and they were dispersed throughout the countries. So let's pick it up in verse, um, I don't know how you can get around without actually getting into the whole chapter. 36 and 37, I have checks in my Bible, which means completed and fulfilled. So both chapter 36 of Ezekiel and 37 have already been fulfilled. Verse one. And you said of man prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said to you, aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and you are taken up by the lips of talkers and slanders by the people. 
Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession, with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Therefore, prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have lifted up my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. Now the prophecy, but you, O mountain of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches. Now, remember this terminology because it's gonna come into play when I make a point of the fig tree being Israel in Matthew 24 and blossoming. When we get there, Remember this verse here in verse eight where the the idiom, but you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches. So it's using Israel in the form of a tree that is shooting forth its branches, much like we're seeing right right now. Um, Tulips are out. (laughs) They'll be out for a couple weeks. Uh, I I have a magnolia tree and uh, it's in full bloom. And it's only going to last a very short period of time. It's that season. And so uh, your branches, and it'll yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and soiled, sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, The cities shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast and they shall increase, bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than at your beginning. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now this phrase, I am the Lord, it occurs 52 times in uh, Ezekiel's prophecy. And really, the, the, the most important part of then they will know that I am the Lord, if you want to just flip a page, this hasn't happened yet. This is Ezekiel 38. 36 and 37 has happened. 38 is a war that is about to take place in Israel today. All the main players are there, Russia, Iran, and Turkey. And everybody's in place for this war to take place. The Lord will intervene. And um, the last verse of chapter 38, when the Lord delivers them and saves them from this war, again it says, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So this, this verse here is a reoccurring verse um, in Ezekiel. All right, verse 12. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 12. Yes, I will cause men to walk on you, my people Israel. They shall take possession of you, 
and you shall be their inheritance no more, shall you bereave them of their children. For thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour men and bereave your nation of children, therefore you shall devour men no more, nor bereave your nations anymore, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore, nor bear the reproach of the people anymore, nor shall you cause your nation to stumble anymore, says the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols which they had defiled. So I scattered them, and here's a verse, among the nations. Now this is the second time. And I remember the first time, it was one nation, Babylon, but here again, clearly he's talking about the second time. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries, plural, I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of the land. That's why they're called the wandering Jews, and have been since they've been regathered. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel has profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy namesake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nation shall know that I am the Lord. There it is again, says the Lord God when I am hallowed in your eyes, in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, plural, gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and will keep my judgments and you will do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. Let me just stop and interject something here. Two things are happening. Part of this is going to be fulfilled in the kingdom where all their uh, uncleanness is put away. Some of that is yet future. But leading up to it is the nation itself being planted again. And um, so part of it here is future tense because the fact of the matter is I'll be talking about Tel Aviv um, in just a little bit. Uh, Tel Aviv is considered the most sinful city in the world. 
Jerusalem, on the other hand, is considered the most holy city in all the world. So to read this right here and say that he's gonna put, take away all uncleanness from them is clearly talking about the kingdom age. Yet what we're watching is, when we get to Matthew 24, we're watching a sign right now. And the sign is the fact that they're there at all. But they're gathered not with a new heart, not with a new spirit. They are um, there, but they're not in the kingdom age yet. Is everybody with me as we read this? Okay, let's finish out the chapter. <coughs> I agree, uh, believe this 30 is resulting to what's happening right now. I will multiply the fruit of your trees, the increase of your fields, so that you will never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. <coughs> then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds, that they were not good, and you will loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this. This is the second time the Lord has said that. Says the Lord God, let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. For thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquity, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. That's what you want to underline in your book. What it was and what it turned into. It was desolate but became like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places, planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offers, offered as holy sacrifice, like the flock at Jerusalem and its feast days, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now I read all of chapter 36. What I'm gonna do in chapter 37 is just give you an overview. What we have in the next chapter has also been fulfilled is two visions that the Lord gives to Ezekiel. The first one is the vision of dry bones. And um, the Lord simply asks a question when he sees this valley of dry bones to Ezekiel. And he says, Ezekiel, can these bones ever live again? And in verse three, Ezekiel said, oh Lord God, you know, I don't. And then the Lord tells him to prophesy and speak to the bones. So here you have valley of dry bones. He says, speak to them and prophesy. And as he did, it says there was a rattling and the bones began to come together and to take shape. So imagine all these skeletons. And um, the old Negro, Negro spiritual, the hip bone connected to the thigh bone and so on and so forth. That's where this comes from. And what we have is 
them the impossibility of this happening and coming back and having skin and uh, sinews and flesh uh, come back to life, he says, uh, let's pick it up in verse 11, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and will bring you into the land of Israel and then you'll know that I'm the Lord. Okay, that's one vision. The second part of Ezekiel chapter 37 is a sign of the two sticks. Now, um, let me summarize this by saying there was Saul, 40 years, then David reigned for 40 years, then Solomon reigned for 40 years, and they were under one king, one nation. But when Solomon died, there was a split. His son Rehoboam became king of Benjamin and Judah, and Jeroboam became the king of the 10 northern tribes. So when it talks about the sign of the two sticks, it's referring to that period of time when they were, uh, during the time of the kings, there were two nations, two sticks. But what he says here is what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the two sticks one stick when, when he brings the nations back again. In other words, Israel will be under one king. And right now it's Benjamin, Prime Minister is Benjamin Netanyahu. We like to call him affectionately Bibi. So what he's saying is when I regather them the second time, it's not gonna be two sticks. I'm gonna put them together, it's gonna be one king. And that's what we have today. All right, what's about to take place literally could happen tomorrow. Um, and I, I, I say that Seriously, and one of the reasons we're doing a sidetrack from uh, the Gospel of Luke. Today, yesterday was the 71st anniversary of uh, the regathering that Jesus said would happen. He said they'd be dispersed, but again, they would be gathered a second time. And so 36 and 37, you could just check it right off because it is fulfilled. Chapter 38 is speaking to Vladimir Putin that I am against you. How would you like to have the Lord say to you, Carol, I'm against you. (laughs) Your husband's sticking up for your back. You can't say that to my wife. (laughs) Well, that's what the Lord is saying to Russia right now because they they say that they're going to be pulled down into the Middle East. Uh, He's gonna put a hook in their jaw and bring them down, because I'm against you. For 70 years, there was the Russian gulags. Stalin killed more people than Adolf Hitler did during World War II. And communism ruled, and Christianity was outlawed. You think the Lord's gonna let them get away with that? One of the reasons for Russia being involved in that is God is gonna judge Russia. And they are the main supplier in Ezekiel 38. All right, um, let's turn. So 36 and 37 fulfilled, 
38 and 39, as long as we're going through this, I want to point out that 36, 37, 38, 39 is all in a chronological order. First, the regathering. Once they're there, there's going to be a war. The war is chapter 38. Chapter 39 is the cleanup. Ezekiel has 48 chapters. From chapter 40 to 48 is all about the kingdom age in the most detailed account in the accuracy of how everything is going to be laid out. The division of the land, who gets what, the measurements of the temple. So um, chapter 40 through 48 is all about the happenings during um, the millennial reign. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 24, with that for a background. And I want to look at verse 3 for starters. And let me preface it by saying, right before this, the disciples were arguing. They were sure the kingdom was coming. They were sure Jesus was the Messiah. They had no doubt about it. So what are they doing? They're arguing, jockeying for position. Um, James and John got their mom to go to Jesus and try to get him one to sit on his right side, one to sit on his left side. And so when the Lord told them in verse two, he says, you see this temple? He's looking at Herod's temple. I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And you gotta put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. And they're, they're thinking, what, what did you just say? You're here to establish the kingdom. You're here to overthrow the Romans. What do you mean? This had to be a, a mind-boggling shock to them that prompted to answer, ask certain questions. So, now as they sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Now when we went through this in Luke and Mark, um, here it's disciples. But it's either Mark or Luke, and I can't remember which one. It tells us it was just four. It was Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were the one who privately came to the Lord and the Mount of Olives saying, tell us when will these things be? So the question now is related to the temple itself. And what will be the sign of your coming? Now these are two different questions. One is related to when is the temple going to be destroyed and what will be, notice, and this is important because a lot of uh, good Bible teachers get this even wrong. The sign, singular, not signs. What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So is everybody with me? They They want to know two things. The Lord just blew their mind by saying, Herod's temple's not gonna be one stone left upon another. That happened. Jesus prophesied about it in Luke 19. He says, this is gonna happen because you did not know the time of my coming. They should have known. And uh, the second one refers to his coming a second time. And of the end of the age. So these are coupled together. So the second coming of Christ and the end of the age 
um, require a sign that's singular. All right? I'm not going to go through all of uh, Matthew 24, except to say from verse 5, four times he's going to warn them about false Christs and false teachers. Four times this is going to come up. Comes up in verse 5. It comes up in verse 11. Many false Christs will rise up and deceive many. Um, it comes up in verse 24. False Christ, false prophets. Um, he talks about the abomination of desolation. He talks about nation coming against nation. Uh, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. Well, these are signs, plural. So, it's important to make a distinction here. From verse uh, 5 to 26, we have signs that'll be taking place. And then he even goes into the tribulation period and talks about the abomination of desolation. And it's the only place that you really find parentheses in the New Testament in verse 15. Um, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and then in parentheses, whoever reads, let him understand. In other words, this is gonna take a little bit, bit of Bible study. In order to understand Matthew 24, and the whole book of Revelation, you have to have an understanding of Daniel, especially Daniel chapter nine. All right, in verses 27 through 31, clearly, it is a picture of the second coming. Now when the rapture happens, it's gonna happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll simply be gone. He doesn't come down to get us, we go up to meet him. That's one of the distinctions. Here, it's the second coming when Jesus comes back a second time. He's gonna come back the same way that he left, he's gonna come back to the Mount of Olives. And here it says when he comes, that every eye will see him and it will be immediately after the tribulation of those days. So the tribulation is a seven-year period of time. At the end of that seven-year period of time, Jesus returns. According to Daniel chapter 12, there's a 45-day period of time between the time that he returns. Matter of fact, go, just turn the page to Matthew 25. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the one from the other. What's that about? Well, tribulation is over. There will be those who took the mark of the beast. There will be those who were hiding out and they didn't take the mark of the beast and they were having Bible studies in their basement. Believers and non-believers. Now, if we're gonna go into the kingdom age, then there has to be a judgment. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 tells us exactly the day that Jesus returns a second time. Be a Berean and do your homework on that one. It's 1,290 days after the event, if you go back to Matthew chapter 24, called the abomination of desolation. I hope none of you miss the rapture. But if you do, You're gonna go through this terrible period of time. Whatever you do, count. (laughs) Whatever you do, watch for the abomination of desolation. 1,290 days after that, Jesus is coming back. 
But then Daniel 12 says, blessed is he who makes it to the 1,335th day, a 45-day period of time. Well, what's going on? Well, both people are alive after the tribulation, but only those who are saved can enter in. Everybody with me on that? So there's got to be judgment pronounced upon those who took the mark of the beast. What is their judgment? Well, according to Matthew um, 25, verse 46, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right. So now we have 27 through 31. That's a picture of the second coming. Now, remember the disciples' question. Lord, what is the sign, not signs, what is the sign of your coming? The sign is in verses 32 to 35. It's called the parable of the fig tree. Now remember when we were reading in Ezekiel 36, when I bring you back, you get a branch forth and bring forth much fruit? All right, let's tie that in now. He changed, it's a change of thought here. And and in the Greek, that's when it says now learn, it's actually, the wording is now change of thought, something completely different than what we've been talking about. Now he's gonna answer the disciples' question. Lord, what is the sign? Verse 32, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. When the tulips start to bloom, we know that it's springtime in Wisconsin. (laughs) So also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things be fulfilled. Well, this always causes people to make guesses and judgment There was a book that came out in 1988 called, what was it called, 88 Reasons that Jesus is Coming Back in 1988 or something. It's been too many years for for me to remember. But they took a generation as 40 years. When did Israel become a nation? 48. They did the math, and they said Jesus is coming back in 1988. And, um, uh, of course, that came and went. Well, other people said a generation is three score and ten. That's how long the scripture says is the life of a man. That's 70 years. Well, so now you had people saying Jesus was coming back last year. As far as I can tell, he hadn't come yet. (laughs) At least I hope he didn't. (laughs) So now it's 71. What is a generation? Well, the only real biblical one beside the three score and 10 is actually, it said, Israel is gonna be taken and put into captivity in Egypt for four generations. How long were they there for? 400 years. So you can't be dogmatic. You can't say when it is. What it does tell us is simply this. If you're alive, when Israel becomes a nation again, you're going to see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. 
Would you just let that sit in for a second? I'll say it again. If you're alive when Israel becomes a nation again, assuredly I say this generation, what generation? The generation that watches Israel bud. That was, it's been 71 years. How late is it? Late. How dark is it? Dark. Getting darker. Till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. I think the Lord put that emphasis there. Is that everything else is not, you can't be sure of. But this you can be. That the generation that sees Israel come is gonna see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. The parable of the fig tree. Israel blossoming, really? We got this off the internet today. Mark Twain visited Israel in 1869. I'm gonna read two paragraphs from his account of his trip to the promised land. Riding on horseback through the Jezreel Valley, Twain observed, there is not a solitary village throughout the whole extent, not for 30 miles in either direction. There are two or three small clusters of Bedouin tents, but not a single permanent habitation. One may ride 10 miles hereabouts and not see 10 human beings. He continues, of all the lands there are Uh, There are for dismal scenery, I think Palestine must be the prince. Can the curse of the deity beautify a land? Palestine or Israel sits in sackcloth and ashes over over it broods the spell of a curse that has withered its field and fettered its energy. Twain was not alone in his poor impression of the land of milk and honey. Historians and travelers alike make similar dreary observations over the century. So, how has Israel looked up, up until modern times? Nothing. One of his quotes is, is everywhere I looked, I saw goats, but they were eating rocks because <laughs> there was no grass. Now, my point is where it has been and what it has turned into. Up to this point, all, of, all these things have been fulfilled. Now, um, what is the next event that's going to happen? After Israel is regathered again, 36 through 44, is, but of that day and hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Another change of, of thought about the, the Lord's coming. Now here, it cannot be the second coming. I can show you to the day, April 638, 2 AD, according to Daniel chapter nine, when the Lord would come the first time. I can tell you to the day, Daniel chapter 12, the last two verses, when he will come the second time. What no man knows the day or the hour is, of course, the rapture of the church. It could literally happen before this Bible study is over. And I would be the first one to say amen because I was in the yard fertilizing yesterday and my back feels like it every bit. I want my new body. 
I'm all clogged up because of all the pollen that's in the air. And I know that there's no pollen in the new heaven and new earth. I am sure of it. All right. But here's, here's some of the characteristics. As it was in the days of Noah. I have in my notes Genesis 6 verse 5 and 7. That the thoughts and the intents of men in their hearts were only evil all the time. Simple question of observation on your part. Do we see our United States of America getting better? Or do we see more lawlessness, lawlessness and ungodliness? And above everything else, the hatred towards Christian and the compromising on men who would have never compromised 10 years ago for the sake of keeping peace in their congregation rather than simply teaching the Bible. Bible-believing Christians will be the most despised people on, in the United States of America. Why? Because you guys are so doggone narrow-minded and bigoted and homophobic and the whole nine yards, every single one of you. And you're just not getting along. Aren't Christians supposed to be loving anyway? And you call yourself a Christian. No, we're just doing what the Lord said. If they hated me, they're gonna hate you too. If, the, if you love the world, the Lord says, then the love of the Father is not in you. Whoa. So what is the church trying to do? Conform itself to society. Um, dumb down sound doctrine. Does the Bible say the Bible would be dumbed down in the last days? Absolutely. They will not endure sound doctrine. Don't talk like that, Dwight. People are going to leave. They're going to get upset and walk right out. Wait and see. That's exactly what's going to happen. Unless you're a strong um, and you're rooted and grounded in the Bible. Good. I was just going to say, good place for an amen. <laughs> All right, so the conditions are going to be like the days of Noah. For as it was in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Another day, in other words, um, there wasn't war breaking out like a civil war in America. It was everyday life. In other words, you're planning your vacation. Judy and I just got back from Colorado. Um, didn't think a whole lot about the rapture while we were there. We were thinking about Richie's birthday party and in just enjoying the scenery, everyday life. Um, Joshua was here on Saturday conducting a, a funeral for somebody. And, um, and you're going to wake up tomorrow and go to your jobs. Everyday life. But they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so it will be when the, with the coming of the Son of Man. This can only be the rapture. It's something that we uh, won't be looking, we should be looking for, but life will be normal. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore. Watch what? Well, that's where this Bible study is gonna conclude with tonight. Not only what we're watching for, but what has actually already happened. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, be ready. 
for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Practical thing to do is have your routine and don't quit it. Number one, the Lord's gotta be first. He's gotta be first with your time and your priorities. And your priorities should be your own personal devotional time with the Lord, one-on-one. To love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. Number two, Sunday morning is church. It's not, it's not soccer, taking kids to soccer or softball. No, 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 no. What are you teaching your kids if you're telling them that? Do you realize how upset our family would be if we did that? Well, matter of priorities. What's more important? I know I'm stepping on some toes by saying these things, but that's what it's come to. When I was growing up in the 60s, the streets and stores were closed. There was nothing moving on Sunday. Now, everything is moving on Sunday. Less people are going to church and they're involved with their kids' activities. And I think it puts a lot of pressure on the parents. All right, all that, believe it or not, was background. And I got 10 minutes to get to the heart of the study. Okay, um, I have a simple question to ask at this point. Is Israel budding? Is it back in the land? And um, what I'm going to do, and I want you to take this home with you tonight, and um, I've been leading up to Mary's news bites. I knew what I wanted to talk about tonight, and she said, well, haven't you read the news bites? And I said, no. But after I read them, I just said, this is my Bible study. And what you're going to get right now is information overload. It's only going to take a couple minutes to read it, but can I warn you ahead of time about information overload? And so what we have, we printed up extra of these. And what have we learned so far? That Israel's going to be barren, but it's going to become like the Garden of Eden. The room places are going to be rebuilt, and it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. Well, it's a simple question. Either it is or it isn't. Either we look at the facts that are out there in Israel, and either it's Mark Twain's description of it from 1869, or the reality of uh, every one of the statements that I'm going to uh, give you are quotes from that particular organizations that have done research on on what I'm about to share with you. If you have your news bites, Just uh, follow along. Everything you wanted to know about Israel at 71. And again, this Bible study is being given because uh, the 14th was the anniversary of of 71 years ago. All right. As night falls on May 8th, 2019, Israel will kick off its 71st birthday celebration. Um, And it's... in. In, called Independence Day style. They'll have cookouts, aerobatic shows, silly string, torch lighting ceremonies, festive fireworks across the nation. In only seven decades, Israel has proven it's possi- possible to do the impossible at home and abroad. Whether greening deserts with world-leading technological know-how, rescuing people in distress in distant lands, or sending the smallest ever spacecraft to the moon. The list of 
Rayleigh accomplishments is truly staggering, especially considering the huge amount of resources that must be devoted to defense alone. Last year, Israel brought you a timeline, 70 years of Israel's achievements, and a fantastic companion film, 70 years of Israel milestone in 165 seconds. Uh, Now we're going to dive into the the statistics to present a fun and fascinating by-the-number picture of Israel at 71. The first one is who we are. As of May 2019, Israel's population is 9,009,000. About 74% are Jews, 21% Muslim or Christian Arabs, and the rest non-Arab Christians and others. And then it tells the, the central rule of statistics for that information. Citizens aged zero to 20 comprise 43% of Israel's population. The, large, the largest group within that category is five to 14 years old, or 18%. The latter category is largest in Jerusalem, making up 21% of its population. Jerusalem, in Israel's most populous city with about 883,000 residents. Tel Aviv or Jaffa comes in second with 439,000 and Haifa third at 280,000. In Tel Aviv, the largest population segment by age is 35 to 44, about 17%. While in Haifa, the two highest population groups are ages 5 to 14 and 35 to 44. That's 12% each. The most common family name in Israel is Cohen, one in 50 people. Egbari, the most common surname among Muslims, Koba, I don't know how to pronounce that, Korai among Christians, and Halabai among the Druze. The most common first name for boys in, in Israel are Mohammed, Yoshi, Ariel, Omer, Adam, David, Daniel, uh, Levi, uh, Ethan, Uri. The most popular names for girls are Tamar, Abigail, Miriam, Sarah, Adil, Yael, Noah, um, Shira, Noya, and Leah. Um, as far as the next group, where they are in the high-tech superpower, Israel hosts about 8,200 active high-tech companies. 30 Israel Venture Capital Fund raised $2.55 billion in 2018, the largest sum ever raised by Israel, 69% more than a year earlier. Israel is ranked fifth overall on the 2019 Bloomberg Innovation Index, moving up from number 10 in 2018. The R&D means the research and development. Israel's uh, expenditure on research and development, um, as 
as a percentage of their GDP was 4.21%, is the highest in the world. Just let that set in. And remember, they've only been there 71 years. Israel ranks number two among the top 10 countries for scientific research. Based on the number of scientific research papers released, the number of patients' uh, patents registered, uh, the percentage of the GDP uh, spent on research and development, and the number of researchers per 1,000 people. More than 350 multinational corporations have uh, research and development centers in Israel. And here's a list of who's who. IBM, Intel, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Merrick, HP, uh, HP, Indigo, J&J, GE, Siemens, uh, Qualcomm, Applied Materials, and Samsung. Israel has the world's highest per capita number of such centers. Every year, there's about 1,400 startups are founded in Israel and some 800 are shut down. 13 Israeli-founded companies will headquarter or development offices in Israel are Unicom's private-held startup value at one billion or more. The most lucrative acquisition of an Israeli company took place in 2017 when Intel bought Jerusalem-based Mobileye for $15.3 billion. Intel is making the largest ever corporate investment in Israel, 11 billion production plant planned in Kiryat Gat. Intel, which employs about 12,800 Israelis in five centers throughout the country, is the most active foreign corporate investor in Israel, putting 435 million into more than 90 Israeli companies, 120 million in 2018 alone. Another change of thought. We're healthier and happy and we live longer. Israel has the lowest rate of diet-related deaths in the world. Israel ranks fifth in the world for healthy longevity and 11th in the world for overall happiness. Average life expectancy for men, about 80. For women, about 84. Israel ranks 10th on the 2019 Bloomberg Bloomberg Healthiest Country Index. 88.6% of Israelis say they are pleased with their lives. 85% of Israelis over the age of 20 feel safe walking alone in the dark in their residence. All right, agriculture. We are a tree, fruit, and veggie empire. And again, remember the parable of the fig tree. When it begins to become productive to such a capacity. So, in 1948, about 2% of Israel was covered in trees. Now it's up to around 85 since its establishment in 1901, Kareen Karamoth, has, uh, their organization, has planted more than 
240 million trees in Israel. Israel is one of the only countries in the world that ended the 20th century with more trees than it had at the start. As of the end of 2018, every Israeli has access annually to an average of 152 kilograms of fruit, 154 kilograms of vegetables. In 2017, the leading crop produced in Israel were potatoes, tomatoes, carrots, peppers on the vegetable side, and bananas, apples, avocados, and grapes on the fruit front. Citrus fruit is Israel's largest agricultural export, adding up to 230 million in 2017. The value of all Israeli fresh and produce agriculture exports was about 2.2 billion in 2016. New change of thought, tourism. Here's a plug, you can still, it's not too late to go to Israel with us this, this fall. The Western Wall in Jerusalem is Israel's most visited tourist site. In 2018, Israel welcomed a record-breaking 4,120,800,000 tourists. The Western Wall in Jerusalem is the most visited tourist site, followed by the other sites in Jerusalem's old city, the Jewish Quarter, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, Via Della Rosa, the Mount of Olives, Tower of David Museum. Outside Jerusalem, they're not even talking about the Galilee and the Golan Heights and talk about Capernaum a little bit um, as tourist destinations. In 2018, almost half of all Israelis, 4.1 million traveled abroad. 2.2 million of them once and 1.9 million twice or more. The Israeli Hotel Association lists 370 member hotels encompassing a total of 54,864 rooms. Now, aren't you glad you have that little bit of information? Don't forget, I'm gonna test you afterwards. This number does not include hundreds of small boutique hotels and bed and breakfasts across Israel. The most expensive room in Israel are the Nobel Suites at the Waldorf Astoria. I've been watching them refurbish that. The building was there, they gutted it, and every time I go back, I've been waiting for it to open. And I was curious what a night would cost at the Waldorf. And the presidential suite at the Ritz-Carlton, each about $5,000 per night in high season. Whew. Um, Next thought, we invest heavily in water uh, um, I said it earlier, I don't know why I can't say it now. Um, Desalination and conservation. Uh, Israeli households, industry, and agriculture consume 2.1 billion cubic meters of water each year. Israel recycles 87% of its wastewater for agriculture much more than any other country in the world. Some 31% of irrigation water originates from waste water treated at more than 150 plants. 60 to 80% of Israel's municipal water um, adjusted according to season and real-time demand flows from large coastal desal plants 
Ashkelon, Ashdad, Pelmachum, and Hadea. Sorek is the largest seawater reverse osmosis distillation plant uh, in the world. The 100,000 square meter facility can produce 624,000 cubic meters of water daily, 20% of domestic water consumption. Now, the birds and the bees. As of 2019, Israel counts some 545 resident species of birds. Let that sink in. 545 different species of birds. Israel's the size of New Jersey. Every year, some 500 million birds of 150 to 200 species migrate across Israel in their twice yearly pilgrimage to and from warmer climates because it follows the Mediterranean. They're in Africa and they follow the migration route which is along the Mediterranean. So whenever we're in Israel, we're always watching usually the pelicans or the storks catch the, um, the upward um, drafts. So it's amazing to see that many birds in one places. Israel has about 500 beekeepers with a total of um, 11,000 hives. Israel's annual honey yield is about 3,000 tons. About 1,600 tons of honey is consumed by Israelis every Rosh Hashanah to symbolize the hope of a sweet Jewish New Year ahead. The education system. Twelve Israelis have been awarded the Nobel Prize. Help, forgive me for butchering some of these names. Um, S.Y. Egan, Menachem Begin, Sharon Perez, Yitzhak Rabin, Daniel Kamen, Aaron uh, Chekhanover, uh, Avram Heshkro, Robert Alman, Ada. Yanath, Dan, uh, Shekman, Michael Levitt, and Ariel Warshaw. Pretty bad. <laughs> Israel has the highest number of engineers and scientists per capita. Israel ranks third among the OECD, that's the Organization for Economic Corporation Development. Israel's ranked third uh, in, in these countries for the percentage, a percent of its population that has attained higher education, and fifth for its total expenditure on educational institutions as a percentage of its uh, GDP. Israel boasts a literacy level of 97.8% of citizens above the age of 15. Uh, Israel is home to 66 institutions of higher education, seven research universities, one open university, 23 teaching training program colleges, 21 academic colleges, 14 private colleges. Tel Aviv. Coastal Tel Aviv, uh, Yafo as Japa, boasts many distinctions apart from being the heart of Israel's startup culture. Tel Aviv is the world's 10th most expensive city tied with Los Angeles. Tel Aviv's uh, 
Tel Aviv is Israel's most expensive residential area. The average price of owner-occupied dwelling was $610,000 in the second quarter of 2018. And an apartment in Tel Aviv is 1.3 million. We're sold in Tel Aviv during the first half of 2018. Time out of London ranks Tel Aviv the best city in the Middle East. There are 13 beaches along the Tel Aviv-Japa uh, coastline, visited by some 8.5 million people annually. Tel Aviv has the highest number of pet dogs. Now there's one for a trivia question for you. In the world, at one pooch for every 17 residents. Tel Aviv has been called the world's top destination for vegan tourists, the daily meal and vegan capital of the world. The highest concentration of vegan restaurants is in the Florentine neighborhood. Of the 21 Israeli residents listed on Forbes 2019 World Billionaire List, many live in Tel Aviv, including the wealthiest man in Israel, uh, Roman Abramovak, who is listed by Forbes as Russian, although he got his Israeli citizenship in 2018. Um, Sarah... Arad's son, the richest woman in Israel. Some random awesome facts. Israel has more than 230 museums, believed to be more museums per capita than any other country in the world. Israel shipped 61.9 billion worth of goods around the globe in 2018. The top five exports are gems and precious metals, electric electrical machinery and equipment, pharmaceutical, optical, technical, medical apparatuses, machinery, including computers. There are more vegans, 5%, and vegetarians, 8% per capita in Israel than anywhere else in the world. Every day, Osam uh, produces 1 billion bags of Bamba. Now you're wondering, what is Bamba? Bamba is Israel's top-selling snack. Surveys show that 90% of Israeli families buy Bamba on a regular basis. All right, let me explain it this way. The American food that people go out for in America is a hamburger. What is a hamburger in Israel is called a falafel. We call it the Israeli hamburger. What a Bamba is would be equivalent to our potato chip. So as often as you eat potato chips, they're eating a bamba. Aren't you glad you know that? We're almost done. Israel has won nine Olympic medals since 52, one gold in sailing, one silver in judo, and seven bronze, four in judo, two in sailing, one in canoeing. Is Israeli rhythmic gymnast Lenoy Ashram set a world record with a score of 20.65 points in the club events in a rhythmic gymnastic world challenge cup championship in 2018. Genesis world record certified in 2019 that Isaac Havoc of Or Yehuda, Israel is the oldest soccer player in the world. And the last thing to report on, a new Genesis 
um, world record was set for most people using virtual reality displays at, at the same time when Israeli company Mobileye made a presentation to 1,867 business leaders at the 2017 YPO Edge Conference in Vancouver, Canada. One question. From the time Mark Twain visited in 1869 to the laborious, I told you there's going to be more information than you wanted to know. This is what has happened in 71 years. Now I'm just going to leave the Bible study with a simple question tonight. Either the parable of the fig tree and Israel budded or it hasn't. And what I've just given to you is simply what Mary was going to put in the news bites that um, I said, do I really want to sit down and read all these numbers? And I thought about it and I go, yes, I do. Because if it's one thing that it tells me, I'm not so much impressed with everything that they've accomplished. But why is it important for you and I? Well, because the fig tree has blossomed. It's the size of New Jersey. And we're getting our information uh, from Israel when it comes to the tech side of things. We're not sending it to them. They're sending it to us. So I'll leave you with this thought. Has the fig tree budded? And so what if it has? Well, if it has, that means that Jesus is coming really soon. That's what the parable of the fig tree is. The generation that sees what I just read to you is this generation that's going to see the Lord come for his church. How is that for a good place for an amen and to end the Bible study? I apologize for going a little bit over, but you understand that this took a little bit of time to read. (laughs) Would you pick one up on your way home and just keep it, and when people talk about Israel, just tell them, do you realize what has happened in 70 years from nothing to this? And what does it mean? Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, this has been a lot to deal with when it comes to um, the budding of the fig tree and just how Israel not only has blossomed but is a leader in so many areas worldwide as a nation. So Lord, as we consider this, you've told us to do one thing. You told us to watch. Now we know what to watch for And then you told us to be ready. Lord, once again, we thank you for the opportunity to keep our priorities straight and and say perhaps today is the day. But help us be found in that place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Genesis World Record certified in 2019 that Isaac Havoc of Or Yehuda Israel is the oldest soccer player in the world. And the last thing to report on, a new Genesis um, world record was set for most people using virtual reality displays at at the same time when Israeli company Mobileye made a presentation to 1,867 business leaders at the 2017 YPO Edge Conference 
and Vancouver, Canada. One question. From the time Mark Twain visited in 1869 to the laborious, I told you there's going to be more information than you wanted to know. This is what has happened in 71 years. Now I'm just going to leave the Bible study with a simple question tonight. Either the parable of the fig tree and Israel budded or it hasn't. And what I've just given to you is simply what Mary was going to put in the news bites that um, I said, do I really want to sit down and read all these numbers? And I thought about it and I go, yes, I do. Because if it's one thing that it tells me, I'm not so much impressed with everything that they've accomplished. But why is it important for you and I? Well, because the fig tree has blossomed. It's the size of New Jersey. And we're getting our information uh, from Israel when it comes to the tech side of things. We're not sending it to them. They're sending it to us. So I'll leave you with this thought. Has the fig tree budded? And so what if it has? Well, if it has, that means that Jesus is coming really soon. That's what the parable of the fig tree is. The generation that sees what I just read to you is this generation that's going to see the Lord come for his church. How is that for a good place for an amen and to end the Bible study? I apologize for going a little bit over, but you understand that this took a little bit of time to read. (laughs) Would you pick one up on your way home and just keep it, and when people talk about Israel, just tell them, do you realize what has happened in 70 years from nothing to this? And what does it mean? Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, this has been a lot to deal with when it comes to um, the budding of the fig tree and just how Israel not only has blossomed but is a leader in so many areas worldwide as a nation. So Lord, as we consider this, you've told us to do one thing. You told us to watch. Now we know what to watch for and then you told us to be ready. Lord, once again, we thank you for the opportunity to keep our priorities straight and and say perhaps today is the day. But help us be found in that place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.